Hi, my name, is, my name is Joe Hammock. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 53, 3 through 7. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Pontus, and the New Testament reading is found in Romans 8 and 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Good morning, my name is Melissa Hammock. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray, so you will not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more, and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. The Gospel of our Lord. Well, good morning, New Life downtown. How are you this morning? You feeling good? One hour less of sleep, a little disoriented, but we're feeling good. That's great. Like Evan said, my name is Jeremiah Parks. And I'm the pastor of community and small groups up at New Life. Um, also, there, I, my wife and I founded a ministry called Heartwork, which I mentioned that because it's, it's pertinent to the message today. But if you're feeling good, you may not feel so good in a minute because of what we're going to talk about today. When, uh, when Pastor Glenn and I, several weeks ago, we were talking about me coming down and joining you guys, and we looked at this date, March 9th, and I said, okay, great. So, so I, I knew that Glenn was kicking off this Lament series So what's the first topic to kick off lament, Glenn? And he said, it's suffering. And so I said, suffering? Are you kidding? I love suffering. What a wonderful topic. So do you get excited when you hear the word suffering? Does it just, 
resonate inside of you? I mean, you want to just pump a fist up in there? Yes! Suffering. Well, I really do, I really do um, look forward to this time with you today because suffering is a message that is near and dear to my heart because of my childhood, the way that I grew up, the conditions that I grew up in, and also because of heart work and ministry that my wife and I started actually out of New Life Church several years ago when we were uh, part of the youth staff there. And so we'll get into all that more in a minute, but I think when, when we look at Lent, it is, it, it's a lot of things, but it, in some way, it is us suffering with the Lord. It's a, it's a way of associating and, and trying to understand his suffering, the suffering that Jesus experienced from the beginning of his life on the earth to the cross, journeying with him in that. And there's a part that it has to play in our life, a significant part. And I think, I think when we overlook the role of suffering, when we try to glaze over it or move past it too quickly, we miss out on a blessing. We miss out on something that God wants to do in our lives. And so my hope today is that we could talk about the journey of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, but specifically, how does it relate to our journey? How does it relate to the way that we live our lives and to the way that we respond to the pain and suffering that happens in us? So I'm going to ask you a really personal question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you don't mind. If you have ever suffered in any form, any fashion, any way, would you just raise your hand real high? And just hold it up. Okay, now, now look around the room, everybody. We, you are not alone. If you have suffered, you are not alone. You can put your hand back down. Yes, of course, you've suffered. We've all suffered. It's part of the human experience, right? It's, there's no avoiding it. There's no escaping it. As much as I think we try to, as much effort and energy as we put into trying to escape suffering, you really can't do it. It's part of the human experience. We, we all have experienced pain. In fact, you know, there's, there's so many wonderful promises in the Word of God. and Life and joy and peace are, are ours. Uh, eternal life is ours to be had in God. And so many blessings, provision and health and all of these things that the Word of God talks about. But there is a promise that's not as exciting in First John or in John 16, 33. Jesus speaking and he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay, there it is. <laughs> There's a promise from Jesus. You're going to have trouble. But he says, it's okay. Be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Don't worry, because I have overcome the world. And this is the journey of the cross, isn't it? So I think the way that we deal with our hurt and pain and suffering in our life is big, big, big. It's, it's a big issue it's extremely significant in our understanding of God. And so before we really jump into wrestle with this issue, I want to just make two disclaimers real quick. First of all, to be extremely clear, when we talk about suffering with Christ and this journey to the cross as we go through Lent, we are not talking about in any way that we are taking on sin. It, it, this is not for us earning salvation it's not penance, it's not for our own sin, it's not for the sin of others. Jesus done did that, right? He took care of that issue. He took care of sin, nailed to the cross with his death and resurrection, it's done. Everybody say, it's finished. All right, so we're clear, Jesus took care of that. I just want to make sure we got that nailed down so we don't have the wrong idea that we're somehow suffering for the mistakes that we've made or to carry sin that's been taken care of. And we're not carrying the sin of others. 
So no Messiah complex here. No Messiah complex in the room. Okay, the second thing is, when we talk about suffering, the theology of suffering is a, is a multi-layered, multi-faceted kind of issue. And there's lots of different opinions as to, as to why we suffer or what causes suffering and where it comes from, who's, who, who's involved when we talk about suffering. And so we don't really have the time to unpack all of those different issues. So let me just kind of ask a question to maybe give, the sh- give a short answer. When Jesus suffered, what caused him to suffer? Was it the sin of others that caused Jesus to suffer? Was it Satan that caused Jesus to suffer? Or was it the Father that caused Jesus to suffer? In my opinion, through looking at Scripture, I say the answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. All three. And so, in our own lives, that's certainly true. There are all lots of different factors that cause suffering and pain. Again, we won't be able to unpack all those things, but just know... In this context, we're understanding that there's lots of different reasons why we go through pain and suffering. Okay, but let's think about Jesus. Why did he suffer? What was the cause? What was the reason? Well, I think we all know, right? It was for our sake. He suffered for us. But it wasn't just that. It was also in obedience to the fathers. The passage that was just read in Matthew, we see Jesus saying, Is there another way? Can I, can I get out of this? And I love that passage because it shows us the humanity of Jesus. As he's coming, I mean, his entire life on the earth is leading up to this moment on the cross. And there he is, struggling. Struggling under the pressure. I, I don't know if, if you caught it as we, were, as we were listening to that passage. To me, it's overwhelming to try to imagine Jesus, I mean, he, he was amazing. He was perfect without sin. He was strong. He was courageous. He was bold. And yet the weight of what he was about to carry was crushing. Do you notice in that passage, three times, he cries out to God. And you know, sometimes when we, we read scripture, you can read it so casually. And then Jesus fell on his face and he cried out to the Father. Imagine what it was really like. I mean, Jesus, he's usually composed, right? He's got it together. He's falling on his face. It says, as unto death, he was distraught and he's crying out, Father, is there some other way? I'm sure he remembered this was the plan from the beginning. Scripture says that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Yet in that moment, the struggle and the pain. And when I think about that and think about the fact that the father didn't say, Oh yeah, there's a plan B. Jesus, Jesus, it's okay, it's okay. Bail out, bail out. You know, let's go, let's go plan B. We're going to execute plan B. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't do that because of you and because of me. The Father says, there's no other way. This is the way. And Jesus says, Father, in obedience to you, I will. I will do this. I will go to the cross. And also because of his love for us. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus... Because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You are the joy that was set before him. I am the joy that was set before Jesus. So he suffered because of his obedience to the Father and his compassion. His compassion for us. Compassion, you know, actually means to co-suffer. This is what is so amazing about Jesus becoming a man. He steps out of heaven. He puts on flesh. He becomes human, 
and he suffers as a human. He got into our problems. He got into our situation. He understood it. You know, it's kind of like the, uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't know the name of the show, and there may be a couple of them, but the reality show where like the CEO of the corporation uh, goes in disguise undercover and works at the very bottom of the corporation and does like the worst jobs and kind of works his way up. It's kind of like that with Jesus. He, he said, I'm not just going to, from a distance you know, zap the world's problems with my magic wand, but I'm going to get into it. I'm going to solve this problem from the inside out. And that's what he did. And that's what caused him to suffer. So I think the question that we have to ask, okay, what is Jesus' process? What does his process have to do with our process? And I think the answer to that question is monumental. And this is it. It's more than just Jesus died to take care of the sin issue. And I, if we had time to get into that, I think there's, maybe there's different ways that all of that could have happened. But Jesus dealt with the sin, but there's more to it. There's more to the, the reason. Have you ever wondered, like, why was Jesus born and then lived 30 years before he even started doing ministry and then three years of ministry and then the cross? Why didn't he just, could he have been born and then just like within a week he was full grown? And here I am, I'm Jesus. Okay, and I know we've, we've got to get this cross thing done. I've got to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So let me go and make some people really angry and then they'll crucify me and we'll be done with it. You know, he could have come in, boom, and got out. But there was a process, I think, a huge reason for the process of Jesus' life. He actually, he didn't cut any corners. He lived, grew as a baby, as a child, as a teenager, as a man. He grew and developed. The reason is, and this is why his process has to do with our process, Jesus is the prototype. He is the example for us. The goal is for us to look like him and to be like him. And so he models for us how to live on the earth and how to go through the suffering that's involved in the world. I love this passage in Romans 8, 29. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's you and me. Jesus is the firstborn, but the goal of the Father is that he would have a lot of kids and we would be like Jesus. That is, if that doesn't blow your mind... It's just because your mind isn't getting it, which is, which is understandable. It's hard to get it. It's hard for our minds to wrap around this idea that God wants us to be like him. So it's not just sin. It's not that he's just trying to get us out of the pit that we got ourselves into. He's saying it's much more than that. I want you to be transformed. I want you to look like Jesus and sound like Jesus and, and talk like Jesus and walk like Jesus and be like him. Well, Jesus is the ultimate example of selflessness isn't he? And of humility, that he would lay down his life. So the way of the cross, it is a way of suffering. And it is the way into the kingdom. And there's no shortcut through that. It's a, it's a way of self-denial. It's, it's not a way of selfishness. It's not a way of self-focus. And, and, you, and you say, okay, well, so I thought Jesus suffered so that I don't have to suffer. Isn't that the point? No, not, not exactly, because it, Jesus says in Mark eight thirty four, he says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, then he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, so what is he saying? And you, and you have to remember 
When Jesus is saying these words, for us, we think about the cross now as this very holy and sacred symbol. He might as well have said to them, if anyone wants to follow me, take up your electric chair and come follow me. He was saying, this is an instrument of execution. This is an instrument of death. So to be in my kingdom, to follow my way, you have to deny yourself. You have to lay down your life. So then this begs the question, do you want to be comfortable or do you want to be like Jesus? And I know, I know that's, that's a hard question and it's like, ouch, that's uncomfortable. Why did you have to say it that way? Can I be comfortable and be like Jesus? Is that possible? And I wish, I wish that it were, but I think the answer is no. I, I really do. I, I think the answer is no, that you can't seek comfort. Your goal can't be to be comfortable and to be like Jesus. In fact, there, there's this really mysterious verse to me, and it's in Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5, 8. I, I don't pretend to understand this, it, it, but it, it baffles me. He, Hebrews 5, 8, it says, Though he was a son, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience through suffering. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. What does that mean? He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's perfect. He learned obedience. Surely this is speaking to the humanity of Jesus. You know, he's fully human, fully God. This is the humanity of him. I don't understand it, but here's what I do understand. If it's true of Jesus, it has got to be true of me. If Jesus learned obedience through suffering, surely I don't learn obedience through some other path. Or I don't say, okay, I don't, I don't need to learn that. I've already got it figured out, right? If Jesus needed it, I need it. If Jesus needed it, you need it. So I, th- I think when, when we consider Jesus too, it, it wasn't just the cross, right? It wasn't just the cross that was suffering for him. I think the fact that Jesus became a human being was tremendous suffering, Have you ever thought about that? Like we talk about how he was born in the manger. He's born in this very lowly situation, grew up in in poverty, grew up with, you know, no name, nothing special about his humanity. But I think if he had been born in a palace, if he had been born to the most powerful person on the earth and had everything that, that humanity had to offer him at his fingertips, it still would have been some crazy suffering, I think, Because he had been with God the Father for eternity past, in perfect love, no separation, no distance ever between them, and now there's this distance. Yes, he has a relationship with the Father, but as a man, he wasn't face-to-face with God all the time. He didn't just float around. He didn't just make things appear of everything that he needed. He was human. He experienced what we experienced. He got tired. He uh, He got, you know flustered by situations that he was in. And, and you see that over and over throughout the Gospels. But he had to sleep. He had to eat. Dare I say it, he even had to go to the bathroom. I mean, you know, you don't want to think about that, but it, it's true. He was human. He's God, but he was human. So in some ways, don't you think if you were God, that would be kind of humiliating to have to experience those kind of things? But here's what God does. And we see this over and over through Scripture. The Father sends Jesus on a mission that causes him to have to leave home, to be uncomfortable, and to endure hardship. And you see this over and over again with, uh, throughout the Word. You, you see this with 
from, from Noah to Abraham to Joseph to Ruth and Esther uh, to Mary and Joseph to Jesus to the apostles, calling us to be uncomfortable, calling us to go out and trust him. And I, I don't see anywhere in the word of God where he calls someone to follow him and to take up this mission where he says, hey, don't worry, don't worry, because I'm going to make this really easy, okay? I'm God, I can pull some favors for you, I'll make sure this works well, it's just going to be as smooth as it can be. Trust me, you have nothing to worry about, right? Does he say that? Do you ever see that in scripture? No, what he does is he says, don't worry, that's always there. That part is always there. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Not because it's going to be easy, but because I am with you. Get that. I am with you. God's saying, I will be with you through the pain. I'll be with you for, through the suffering. But here's the dilemma for us. And I, I'm going to take just a, a tangent here for just a minute to make a point that I think has to be made in this culture, in our, in our day, in our age. We don't like to suffer. We don't like to be uncomfortable. And I think that's always been true of humanity, right? But I don't think there's ever been a culture like this one. It, let's just say America in 2014. We have to be the softest, most comfortable uh, you know, selection of humanity that has ever existed. We, we avoid discomfort like the plague, right? I mean, not even just discomfort. We don't like to even be bored. I mean, if, if we're even bored, that's uncomfortable. I mean, that's some of us in here might, when I said raise your hand if you've ever suffered, you might have been thinking about some times that you were bored in your life. I mean, it's just, that, that is just at the top of the list of no can do. I cannot endure boredom. But I mean, seriously, think about the technology that we have today the wealth that we have today in our culture, even if you're middle class economically, even lower middle class, maybe even lower class, you still have at your fingertips experiences and opportunities that kings from hundreds of years ago would not have experienced. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you can access music, movies, uh, all the internet, information, information at our fingertips, the ease of communication with people around the world. We can make a, if it's cold outside, we can make it warm inside. If it's hot outside, we can make it cool inside. We can control our environment. Think about that. Think about what that has done to our psyche and to the way that we operate. So we, we've become masters of controlling a situation to our benefit. You know, even, think about insurance. When we think of safety and not having risk and mitigating risk, Insurance is, insurance is really a modern phenomenon, right? But, but think about this. You can insure your life, your health, your house, your car, your computer, your phone. Your, you can go to Home Depot and buy a power tool and insure it. You know, we have become masters at mitigating the risk and making sure that everything will be okay for us. Now, I'm not saying that those things are bad in and of themselves. And I think I probably have insurance on all those things that I just mentioned. But... What has it done to us? What, what's the effect that it's had on us? I, I want to go so far as to say that in our culture, we have been brainwashed. Brainwashed. And, and I know you're thinking, okay, he's being dramatic. This is what preachers do, you know. They, they say these outlandish things. But really, I think it's true. We, I think that we have been brainwashed. And, and so 
just a really quick history lesson here. Uh, do you guys remember Sigmund Freud? Sigmund Freud, the father of psychology, right? And psychoanalysis and what really drives people. And he, had, he was a brilliant man, also had some really weird ideas too. And I don't know if you remember the Oedipus Rex complex. I'm not even going to go into what it is, but if you remember it, it it's kind of crazy. Um, he had a nephew, and we all, know, we all know Sigmund Freud, but Sigmund Freud had a nephew that really was responsible for shaping the 20th century. But, but he's, not, he's not so well known because he was kind of in the background. But he took what he learned from his uncle and all of the psych, psychoanalysis and the inner self and all of that, and he did something really phenomenal with it. He, he was first, he was an advisor to President Woodrow Wilson during World War I, and he led the campaign for uh, the, the propaganda campaign to get Americans behind the war effort. So he, and, and he's learning from his uncle, he's learning how to tap into the masses and to control the masses. So the war went good, right? Yay. Came out on top. That was a good thing. And after the war, um, Edward Bernays, he realizes, okay, if we could use this during wartime, we could certainly use it during peacetime. And he starts thinking, how can we, how can we take that same message and use it for the benefit of selling products? So he, he says, well, I can't call it propaganda because that, you know, the Germans gave propaganda a bad name and, and it was the war and we don't want to associate it with that. So what's a new thing that I could call it? And he's thinking and he says, public relations. Public relations and advertising, that's what I'll call it. And here's what he did. If you were going to buy a product, if you saw a commercial prior to Edward Bernays and the work that he did, Let's say it was a car, you, and you, saw, you heard a radio an ad or a TV ad about a, about a car. It would tell you, here's what the car looks like, and here's how much it costs, and here's when our store is open, and you can come and buy the car. Just give you the facts, right? But Edward Bernays said, what if we could tap into the inner desires of people and manipulate them to buy stuff? And so he's the one who created first department stores and having uh, like models come and model the, the, the clothing and stuff to make it more desirable. He connected in the Hollywood scene and got movie stars, the rich and the powerful and the beautiful, and did commercials with them, literally saying, you know, a beautiful woman dressed in this clothing saying to women, don't you want to express your inner self? Don't you essentially want to be like me and look like me? And started creating all these ad campaigns and marketing that really had nothing to do with the product itself, but had to do with the inner desire of humanity. So listen to this quote from Edward Bernays. He says, By satisfying people's inner selfish desires, one made them happy and docile. It was the start of the all-consuming self which has come to dominate our world today. That was Edward Bernays, the father of this whole idea. He's the one who says that. Paul Mazur of Lehman Brothers in the 1930s, a, a contemporary, he's kind of, kind of part of the plan. He says, we must shift America from a needs-to-desires culture. People must be trained to want new things even before the old has been consumed. We must train people for their desires to overshadow their needs. Whew. Does that sound like our culture? Chasing after things that we want but don't really need, even to our detriment? Then even uh, President Hoover was quoted tasking his, his ad team and his PR team, to, saying this, your job 
is to create desire and transform, transform people into constantly moving happiness machines. Constantly moving happiness machines. And here's the thing. I, I, that's why I say brainwashed. I think we've been tricked. I think we've, we've bought a bill of goods that that's, it, it can't deliver what it's offering. And I think that we've confused ideal circumstances, what you might call happiness, with true and deep joy. And we're distracted with all the stuff and, and the, the, uh, the preoccupation with image and status and money and power and all of that. All of the things that we enjoy, I'm not saying that they're bad things. I think money is a powerful gift that God gives. And Deuteronomy 8 says he gives wealth to establish his kingdom. He gives us the power to create wealth to establish his covenant on the earth. There's so many blessings, but here's the problem. I think we're so conditioned to not want to be uncomfortable, to not experience pain, that we try to run from the pain. And we use a lot of these things to cover it up. Instead of going to the cross and associating with Jesus, we try to medicate and cover it up. And, we, and you say, yeah, well, there, there's the big obvious things, right? Like drugs and alcohol and sex. You know, that's like the big no-nos that, that people might do to try to cover their pain. But what about, what about being just occupied and distracted with TV and media and entertainment? What about comfort food and overeating? What about shopping? What about the workaholic? What about controlling our lives? Rather than saying, God, you're in control and lead me on this journey and let me be on a journey with you to the cross. So the problem is, in Romans 12, says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, so Paul's using this language of the sacrificial system that we would offer ourselves. He's a living sacrifice, a constant sacrifice, but up on the altar. Well, I think what happens with us is we say, yes, God, I'm in. I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice, but we crawl on the altar and then we crawl right back off because it becomes uncomfortable. And we run back to the things that we're used to that make us feel better, but they're temporary fixes rather than really going through the difficulty of being on the altar. I mean, that language, if you understood the sacrificial system, you would understand that's brutal language. Paul isn't saying that. I mean, that's not sweet and rainbows and puppy dogs and, and flowers, you know. S- sacrifice, altar, death, giving of ourselves. But we have to go through the difficult things to really understand the fullness of God. And think about this. For Jesus to experience the resurrection, he had to first experience the crucifixion, right? He had to die first. He had to go through the pain. And he had to journey through the 33 years of life to even get to the cross. It's the process. So, here's, here's I think, really the big point is this. God takes the pain... And the suffering in our lives. This is where he is a master. This is where he is, I guess you could say this is where he's God. And it's mind-blowing to try to understand. He takes the junk and the pain and the hurt in our lives and he makes it into something beautiful. He makes it into something glorious. It's not even in spite of the things that we've done. But even using the things that we've done, it's just unbelievable how he does that. And we look at ourselves and the things that we've been through and say, God, how could you ever use me because I've done this and this and this, or this has happened to me and I'm broken, I'm tarnished, I'm ruined. 
How can you use me? And he says, no, you don't understand. I'm not going to use you in spite of what you've done. I'm going to use you because of what you've done. I'm not going to use you in spite of what's happened to you. I'm going to use you because of what's happened to you. I'm the master artist. He says, I can take anything and make it beautiful. So he takes the lump of clay that's been smashed and ruined and he says, oh, this is perfect. I can work with this. But we have to give him the suffering. We have to give him the pain. And it doesn't matter if it's something that you've done or something that's been done to you or the devil did it or someone else did it or whatever. He takes the pain. And really, you know, I I mentioned earlier, this is a message that's near to my heart because of my story. My story is that my father... Uh, had some, some extreme issues, and because of his issues, he was extremely abusive. So I grew up a, as a child being abused psychologically, physically, emotionally. Uh, in these fits of rage, my father would tell me, you are worthless, you're a mistake, you should have never been born, you can't do anything right. And I mean, you know, ex- extreme abuse, psychological things, you know, putting a, a knife to my neck, to my hand, you know, I'm going to cut your hand off, I'm going to kill you, all, all these kinds of things. Really, really intense stuff. And so I was a broken kid. I was insecure, I was afraid, I was timid, I felt worthless. When I was 12 years old, my dad died in a work accident. I was relieved and I was devastated. I loved him and I hated him. And I thought things would be better because he was gone, but they just got worse. And I was tormented, and I was depressed, and I was angry, and I was bitter, and I was so full of pain. And then God rescued me. I had, when I was 14 years old, I had an encounter with God one night that forever changed my life. And God said, you are not a mistake, you're not an accident, and I want to use you, and I want to love you, and I want to know you. Let me show you who you really are. Let me show you that I'm your father. I'm going to teach you how to live. I'm going to teach you how to be a man. And really, God transformed my life that night. And ever since then, I've been serving him. And he took the pain that happened in my childhood and has used it. He used me then to, he drew me into youth ministry to work with students and call them into knowing who they are in Christ and knowing their identity in God. God will take your pain and brokenness and use you. And actually we had, um, this was about 14 years ago, Glenn and I were in a prayer meeting uh, and Glenn prophesied over me that God would use me to rescue young people and to be a father to the fatherless like to, to show the father heart of God and to work with orphans. Well, about five years ago, we started a ministry out of New Life Church calling young people to sacrificially give and to spend themselves to help rescue orphans and to rescue widows. And it's just amazing how God knits things together and he takes your pain and suffering and makes it something beautiful. That's what he does. And here's what happens, and, I, and I'm, I'm closing with this, I'm gonna wrap up. When, when we can move past our own pain and difficulty by realizing that Jesus understands our suffering, he understands our brokenness, he's been there, he's walked through it. When we take that suffering and give it to him and embrace him, we move from a place of just dealing with our own pain to a place where we want to embrace the pain that God feels. What do I mean by that? It's Romans chapter 8, verse 17. It says that we are heirs of God. We read it earlier. We're co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, 
that we may also be glorified together. Okay, so how do we suffer with Jesus? Well, Jesus' heart broke for the hurting and the suffering of the world, so he gave himself away. And when we follow him and we take on his heart, when we take up the cross, when we follow the path of Jesus, our heart breaks for the suffering in the world. So our suffering becomes not just about the things we've experienced, but we choose to suffer for those who are hurting. And you might say, well, I wasn't abused as a kid. I, I haven't really, I've had a pretty good life. I haven't been through all of that. Really, I think you probably have if you stop and think about it. Have you ever been lonely? Have you ever felt isolated? Have you ever wondered why you're here on the earth? Have you ever felt like your life doesn't have significance? Have you ever loved someone and they didn't love you back? Have you been rejected? Yes, it's part of the human experience. We all understand suffering and pain. But what if we could give our hearts to God in such a way that he would take our hearts and transform them and say, now, now, remember, the goal is that we be conformed to the image of Jesus. So now, God says, I want you to have my heart and be like me. And so go into the broken places. Be a part. God is inviting us. The Father is inviting us to be a part of the family business. The family business is the business of restoration. The restoration of mankind. The restoration of creation. So we go into the broken places. To your neighbor who's struggling, who doesn't know the Lord. To a co-worker who's going through a divorce. To the lonely, the hurting, and the broken. And we, we co-suffer with them. We step into the situation with them, just like Jesus stepped into our situation. And we say, let me show you the way to life. Let me walk you to a place of healing. Let me walk you to the one who understands your pain and wants to heal your broken heart and show you who you are and give you identity. That's the God that we serve. So suffering, it really, my friends, it's a beautiful opportunity to experience the heart of God, to know his heart for us, And to know his heart for creation. And our lives, everything you've been through, every bit of pain that you've ever felt, it will not be wasted in God. Your pain is not wasted. He will take it and use it. And your life is a picture of what's happening in all of creation. It is restoration. God takes the broken, he restores and makes it beautiful. He wants to do that in you and he wants to use you to do that in others. Praise God.